Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 272nd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Raising farm animals in your backyard, it's not just rewarding, it's actually easier than you think, especially if you have Kari Spencer to help get you prepared. Just text CHICKENS to 33444 or visit BackyardFarmAnimals.com to receive our free webinar on how to grow chickens, goats, and more, promote biodiversity, and put your backyard animals to work. Today on our podcast, we have someone who cares about the next generation in the food revolution. We're talking to Lori Rose about creating lasting school garden programs. Lori is a college instructor for biology, nutrition, herbal, and wellness classes, as well as a board-certified nutrition professional and holistic nutrition consultant, registered herbalist, and holistic health coach. She has also created, developed, and instructs in the Hill College Holistic Wellness Pathway Program in Claiborne, Texas. Lori is a wife and mother, city class teacher, and passionate Zumba dancer. She loves spreading love and light and helping others feel great on the inside and out so they can live their dreams. When not doing all that, she is an organic gardener of vegetables, fruits, and medicinal herbs at home and at the Hill School Garden. Welcome to the show today, Lori. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Oh my gosh, and I love your energy. I'm excited to have you. Thank you. I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Oh, yes. I actually love this story and I love telling it in all of my different arenas. I wear a lot of hats and one of the hats I wear is I'm a college biology instructor Mm -hmm. and I really believe in problem-based learning, not just sitting there and listening, but (laughs) being very hands-on, which you know, you can imagine being a gardener. Yes. And as part of my biology two lesson about plants, I had my students pretend to create a community garden and make brochures for the pretend community garden and learn all about how to grow these plants. And after several semesters of my students saying, hold on, 
you mean we're not really creating a garden? <laughs> and they were complaining that this garden was fake. I was like, okay, guys, I think I'm hearing that you want to build a real garden. The only problem was I was only a gardener at heart and not in practice. And so uh, this really required me, like after this, I had to go take a gardening class. I took square foot gardening classes and permaculture classes. I had to learn how to garden in order to teach my biology students to have a real garden wow. every semester. And it just so happened through serendipity that one, my yoga teacher, my kid's yoga teacher, uh -huh. had gotten a grant to build a school garden. But she oh, didn't know nice. how to build a school garden. Yeah, she had no idea how to garden. So here I have this grant. I have the money. Now I've taught myself how to garden. And it just went from there. I started having my students every semester build a real garden at a school, create brochures for those schools. And now I had me learn how to garden. Every semester, my college biology students learn how to garden, uh -huh. and every elementary school student at that school learns how to garden. And this is repeated every semester. So this really wasn't born of my ideas, other than creative teaching. It was born of my students complaining at me. <laughs> <laughs> hold um, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've got chills all the way down to my toes right now. I love so, it. Yeah, so if I heard you right, and I'm quite sure I did, Every semester, your biology students take on a different grade school and put in a school garden. Absolutely. So, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, so since this has started, every elementary school in the town where I live now has a school garden. And this coming semester, this fall, we've actually had to expand into nearby communities because we've run out of schools to plant gardens in. Nice. Yeah. I, have, I have to tell you something. My teacher, Larry Santoyo, he's a permaculture teacher, one of my permaculture teachers. He, He's amazing. And he always tells people to go out and do epic sh out in the world. Yeah. Do epic manure out in the world. You guys can imagine <laughs> what goes there, right? And so when I'm doing this podcast, I'm always looking for epic. And I have to say, when, when I start getting tingles all the way down to my toes, I know there's epic. I know we're in the presence of epic. Congratulations. That is amazing. Thank you so much. And yeah, it didn't end there. So that whole new pathway into building real gardens for schools led me into a path of herbalism, which I had no idea mm. I was interested in. But right. I was planting all of these companion plants, right, in these school right. gardens. So I had sage and thyme and all of this stuff. I had no idea how to use it. You know, I was a gardener for the veggies, not for the herbs, and the herbs were just kind of there. Right. So I started taking herb classes to learn how to cook with herbs or use the herbs, and that led down to a path of becoming a registered herbalist, and I started my own college herbal and nutrition school. And none of that would have happened if my students hadn't complained that <laughs> I was having to do a fake garden. Isn't that right. amazing? I love it. I yeah. love it. And you know, one of the things I love the most is that you listened. Yeah, I have really made that a goal of mine. I listen to my students. I listen to my children. I really think that as adults, we kind of have this superiority complex that unless you're over a certain age, you don't have any good ideas. But really, the young people, especially children, they haven't learned to be disconnected yet. And right. You know, they're still in tune with their dreams and with the earth. So I make it a point to always listen to kids and what they have to say. Yeah. 
Wow. So how many of these school gardens have you put in? Yeah. So at this point, we've done eight. And then we have one lined up for the fall and lined up for the spring. Mm -hmm. So by the time spring 2018 runs around, that'll be 10 school gardens. 10 school gardens. Wow. That's so exciting. And it just keeps going because I keep having biology classes, right? So I keep right. having to search for more schools to plant in. And you know that because I worked it into my curriculum, that sort of alleviates a tendency to get burnt out or be like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Right. Like it demands me to keep going and spreading those school gardens. Mm -hmm. Wow. Cool. So tell me what kind of a difference have you seen in, let's start with your biology students. What kind of difference sure. have you seen with your biology students around this? You know, what's great about that question is that my biology students, it's a, it's biology for majors, but I still get a lot of non-majors because we're a community college and they're just trying to get their credits. Right. And so they're not really super nerdy about biology like I am. Uh -huh. And I see them, I've had quotes from students saying that that was the pivotal moment of their college career or that that was the most meaningful activity they've done yeah. in their entire life because they get to go out with, you know, 500 elementary school students yep. and, and like kindergartners and pre-Kers and teach them how to plant a garden. Mm -hmm. So it said, they say that it connects them to their community. And I've had tons of my students go on and plant gardens at home, plant gardens at their churches. And so it's just empowering. It gives them mm -hmm. a skill that really our generation doesn't have. Yeah. And they run with it because I think we all have an inherent desire to connect with our food, to know where our food comes from. And it's kind of awesome watching your food grow and knowing oh, yeah. where your food comes from. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Okay. Yay. I want you to think about that one student. They're by, and I'm not talking the grade school students yet. We're going to come to them here in a minute. But that one student of yours, your one biology student of yours, that when you think about it, you just know and think and see epic from this, from, you know, from their experience mm -hmm. here. Tell us about that person. I love this. So, you know, this, I think this student already had the tendency to really be connected to the earth and kind of go down this path. Mm -hmm. But one of my students, I'm not even sure if they were a biology major before this, but they went on to get their permaculture degree. They went on wow. to a four-year college in the area and built a permaculture garden at that college. Mm -hmm. And then now they're a master naturalist and they're getting their master's degree. And it's sort of, you know, it, it became their pathway. And one of my teachers said this quote, he was like, I don't really want to be sustainable. I want to be abundant. I don't want to have yeah. to be the only teacher here. I want to teach teachers because there's only one of me, right? Right. And so when you see that effort being created and expanded to other communities, then it's really rewarding and it kind of takes the pressure off. Like, okay, I can just still keep doing what I can do. Yeah. And all of these people are being empowered to go out and spread this skill and this knowledge. Yeah. Exactly. So you, you, you brought up a good point about the word sustainability. And my listeners know I'm not a great big fan of sustainability. I see it as a stopgap measure between doing nothing and doing what we really need to be doing, which, as your student said, creating abundance. It's also yeah. creating regenerative systems rather than sustainable systems, because sustainable just sustains the mess that we've created. It doesn't create anything new. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I think what his word actually was, I, and you just reminded me of it was redundant. I want to create redundance. I want oh, to create yes. more people doing what I'm doing yep. in other places. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wow. How cool is that? So now I'm going to go down the, another pathway with you. I want to know about that school. You know, when, when you think about the eight schools that you've put gardens at, oh. was there a magical experience that happened at one of them that, that like, told you to your, into your heart that, you know what, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, it's, it brought you to tears maybe. Okay. So I can't even just pick one moment because every <laughs> semester, yeah, every semester it feels like that. Like the kids get out there, they're little kids and, oh, I, I, I think I have a moment. Okay. okay. So I expect, I expected these kids to get hot and tired and complain because like I teach college students and they're not really into anything. Right. But when I get out there, it was the second school garden we planted and we were planting trees and fruit bushes and huge square foot gardens. And I kept saying, do you guys need to break? Do you guys need to break? And the elementary school students were encouraging my college students <laughs> to keep going. They're like, no, we're not stopping. And they're sweating and they're covered in dirt. And like, they want to do it. They weren't working hard. They were having fun. Yeah. They were doing what their souls told them they should be doing. And they complain when their teachers don't take them out to the garden every day. It's, you know, it's where they want to be. Yeah. And it's so rewarding to watch four-year-olds all the way to 10-year-olds mm -hmm. obtain this skill from planting. You know, they turn a grass field into a six bed square foot garden in just three hours. And wow. it's, it's seriously magical. Oh my gosh. You know, you know what? I've actually done planting fruit tree plantings here in Phoenix where we, you know, we plant out 15 or 30 fruit trees in three hours. So I, I when you said that, I kind of get a, got a sense of what that might look like. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about that process. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's a beautiful chaos. And if you know teachers, teachers don't like chaos. Uh -huh. It's the thing that they try to avoid as much as possible. Yeah. And so I have to go into these elementary school teachers ahead of school garden day and say, you guys, it's going to be insane. I got this. If you start to get stressed, just turn around and quit looking because it's going <laughs> to be fine. Yeah. But if you can envision 500 kids running around, scooping up mulch, scooping up compost. Everyone's got mulch in their eyes and dirt on their faces. Yeah. But we sort of do it in like this stepwise process where each grade level comes out in 30-minute intervals. Yes. So at any one point in time, they're only at one station. So they're either at the mulch station or the cardboard station or the compost station uh -huh. or the planting station. Right. But when they're all, there's this one point within that three hours where all six grades are out there at the same time and it's totally oh. nuts, but it's beautiful. And like, I just kind of sit back and watch yeah. and snap as many pictures as possible mm -hmm. and look at the terrified faces of the teachers, <laughs> <laughs> but they've been warned and they, most of them handle it really well. Yeah. And the kids are just having a blast. Mm -hmm. Wow. Cool. So this is the Hill College Holistic Wellness Pathway School Garden Program that we're talking that's, about. Yeah, that's what it has evolved into. You know, when it started, it was just my biology for major students. Oh. And so every year it was just my biology students. And then, like I said, I got interested in herbs. I became a holistic nutritionist. I became a registered herbalist. And so now you can come to the Hill College 
holistic wellness pathway and you can get your bird board certification training for holistic nutrition, wow. wellness coaching. Yeah. And herbalism all at once. They're kind of integrated, which doesn't really exist anywhere. Usually you have to choose one of yep. the three yeah. and all of those students take part in this garden program as well as my general biology students. Oh, nice. So, and this is a community college. It is. Wow. Cool. You, you usually, you can see these in some specialty colleges around, mm -hmm. around, but you don't normally see this at the community college level. Yeah, and the great thing about this is most of those specialty colleges aren't actually accredited schools, so you can't use veterans benefits, you can't use right. financial aid, yeah. but this is actually part of a degree. They, you can get an associate of science degree as a biology major while obtaining these certifications, while learning how to garden, mm -hmm. and so you can use financial aid, you can use veterans benefits, it's online or in person, so it really made this sort of career path open to a lot more people. Yeah. Nice. So I heard you kind of slip in there online, question mark? Yes. So you have an online program that people can learn this as well. Absolutely. Ooh, tell us a little bit about that. So essentially what I do is I record kind of the instructions with pictures of how uh -huh. to plant a garden from start to finish. Uh -huh. And then I either require that student to go to a school and plant one raised bed garden because you kind of, you know, you can't do the full right. six raised bed thing without, you know, three classes of students or plant a garden at home or at least go visit a community garden and kind of write back to me the skills that they see that were used in that garden. So yeah. they have to say this was square foot. This was permaculture. This is this guild. This is that guild. This has this functional unit so that I know they got the skills down. Cool. So do you teach permaculture? I teach permaculture principles, uh -huh. but I'm not a, I don't even know if it's a license or what. I'm not a certified permaculturalist, right. but I've learned from permaculturalists. Yeah. And what I do is I have partnerships where once students go through my program and I see they really locked on to the permaculture part of it. Uh -huh. There's someone in the DFW area that does have a permaculture school. And I say, here, you go, you guys go learn more about this from them. Got it. Cool. So for my guests that talk about permaculture, I always like to have them define it. Ooh, yeah. I'm not a definition person. <laughs> so to me, permaculture is really just doing gardening the way nature gardens so having Beautiful. redundant functions different Beautiful. stories yeah, yeah different roles trying to make it as little human input as possible once it's planted yeah by designing gardens the way nature designs yeah. them beautiful there you go you got it and i don't know if i passed the test with that but <laughs> no, yeah you did, you're doing great are you kidding absolutely absolutely <laughs> So let's talk about actually integrating school garden programs in schools because I am of the opinion that the single most important thing that we can be doing in our culture right now is learning how to grow food. And if we can get kids to grow food starting at a young age, they'll actually, number one, eat what they grow. Mm. And secondly, I think it'll probably change their life forever. So how do we motivate schools to get garden programs going? That is a really important question because 
when I first started these school gardens, you know, in my heart, all I had to do is say, you know, school gardens are awesome and everyone's going to want a school garden and they're going to use it and it's going to be successful, right? right? Well, that's not true. <laughs> Teachers are busy. Principals are busy. So one of the most important things I did was learn how to pitch school gardens to different audiences. Ah. Mm -hmm. So when I'm talking to the principal or a school board for support, I show them the data that says that kids who learn in school gardens do better on their standardized tests. Really? And that's true. There's data that shows that. Wow. And it's like decades worth of data showing that if school subjects are taught in school gardens, kids do up to 15% better on standardized test scores. So that's what I say to school boards and principals. Uh -huh. But if you go to teachers and you say that, teachers really are not interested in hearing about standardized test scores because right. they're there to teach and inspire and motivate the student. Uh -huh. And so you sing a different story and it's a, still a true story to the teachers. You tell them the data that shows that kids who learn difficult subjects in school gardens are more motivated, they're more passionate, they retain the information better, they're more excited about the information mm -hmm. and behavior issues both inside and outside the classroom decrease the more that oh. students are taught in school gardens. Nice. And so then the teachers are on board. Right. And then of course, if you're talking to grants and you're trying to get a grant for a school garden, that's mm -hmm. when you say they'll learn how to grow their own food. They'll be interconnected with the earth and the environment. They don't protect what they don't love and what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about it is you are kind of pitching a different story to each right. audience, but they're still all true stories. Yeah. They're all true. The school garden speaks for itself. You just have to figure out which language to use, depending oh, on who yeah. you're talking to. You ever talk to parents? <sighs> you know, we, so as part of my biology curriculum, my students create brochures to send home to parents of how to build school gardens. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about the way we teach the garden is we use we use materials that are usually kind of tossed aside, like cardboard, recyclable materials to make it kind of low income, because I grew up really low income. And so I think that if I were a kid or a parent and I walked up to a school garden that was this epic six raised bed school garden, I might think, oh, I can't do that at home. And so we create brochures to send home to the parents to show them you really can do this at home. You can yeah. use sticks you can use rocks you can use anything and you can make compost for free it just may take a little bit longer you can use cardboard as weed um deterrent and so there is a low income way to make gardens at home and that's a really important thing for me to teach because we are in an area with like 67 percent poverty or something wow. so wow and you could also tell them that you know when kids grow their own food they're going to eat it Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and you know what's funny about that is the kids do that themselves. Like they'll run home and be like, I ate broccoli today. <laughs> I ate artichoke hearts today. Yeah. I ate a beet today right out of the garden. And that's another one of the things that kind of made my heart cry a little bit is when teachers start sending me the kids eating the school garden food out of the cafeteria. Uh -huh. The nutritionist in me is just like, oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice, nice. So. I get this question a lot in the work that I do, and 
I'm curious to know what you're going to say about it. And that is, what is the number one factor in creating school garden programs that last? Well, and you know, we kind of already covered that and I learned it the hard way, but it's to get, it's to teach the teachers how to teach in the garden. Mm. If the teachers don't know how the garden is of use to them in their actual job, right. the garden's going to go by the wayside. Mm -hmm. And so part of my program is I do this for free before we plant a school garden at any school. I do a one hour training for every single teacher in the school of how to teach math, science, language arts, and social studies in the garden. Oh my and gosh. I, yeah, I do it all with the state aligned criteria for that teacher. So they don't just view the garden as something they have to weed and water. They view it as something that's going to help them teach better. Right. And so we walk through examples in each of those subject areas in every grade level. So now the teacher sees, okay, this garden is going to make my classroom better. It's going to make my students learn better. The principal knows, okay, if they teach in the garden, their test scores are going to go up. And the kids, they don't know any of this. They just know they're out there learning how to garden. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get your hands dirty. Yeah. Wow. My One of my big answers to that has always been you have to find that one person at the school that says this garden is going to happen no matter what. And they, yeah. take it, they take it on as their own. But it sounds to me like what you're doing is you're making all of the teachers like that. I require it. Yeah. And again, I learned that the hard way. And it, and it kind of happened the way you just described is one teacher would take control. The garden would be awesome. And then guess what would happen? they would get transferred. Yep. And then guess what happens to the garden? goes away. It becomes a weed pile. And so you can't depend on one person being in charge of the garden. Every teacher has to know why the garden is useful. And it can't just be about food. And it can't just be about the planet. It has to benefit the teacher for them to integrate it into their curriculum. Because like I was just describing for myself, the reason why I keep doing it, I integrated it as part of my biology classroom. Mm -hmm. And so when a math teacher or a biology teacher or a social studies teacher makes it part of her lesson plan, guess oh, what? Bonus. You need that garden out there. Yeah, you yeah. have to have it. And so you want to keep it growing. Yeah, <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> pun intended. You know, that's another epic piece right there. You have done a magical job of figuring out this process. Congratulations. Thank you. I can't imagine though that it happened overnight. It did not happen overnight and it happened through a lot of failures, a lot of school gardens looking epically awesome the first semester and then the next semester being a weed pile and me being like, what am I doing wrong? Why doesn't yeah. everybody love the garden? And so it had to keep evolving and I had to keep learning. But now every school garden that I've planted is, is still going. Even the ones that became weed piles there, they've been rejuvenated Re and nice. they're going. Wow. That's just, how does that make you feel? Tell me about that. Oh man. If I give myself a moment to stop and think about it, because <laughs> uh -huh. usually I'm just too busy, you know, I'm just going. Right. But it really, it really is kind of an amazing success story. If I yeah. think about the number of college students, the number of teachers, the number of elementary school students. It's, it's pretty cool. How many college students do you have every semester? That really varies, whether it's a fall or a spring semester. But you can say, you know, average 15 to 25 each wow. semester. Yeah. Yeah, just each semester. And now I'm bringing on my nutrition students and my herbal students. Mm -hmm. So the number just keeps growing. <laughs> nice. Nice. 
when I can so hear the the joy in your voice to do this. It is. You know, some people ask, what's your skill? You know, and I'm like, I think it's just passion. Like, I'm just passionate about yeah. everything that I do, mm-hmm. whether it's food or herbs or, you know, painting a wall. <laughs> right. And I do everything that I do passionately. And that's, it's not pretend. It's just kind of the way I work. Yeah. You know, there, there's a few people out there that truly get to a place in their life where they're absolutely no this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I can see that in you. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to shift on you and I would like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might've learned from it. I love that question because I think one of the most important things I have learned is to embrace the freedom to fail. And so I think a lot of the accomplishments that I have achieved is because I have embraced the fact that I I might fail and I do fail. And I started to explain one of those failures a minute ago is when I first started this school garden program, I thought it was going to be the most awesome thing in the world just by existing. And really that didn't turn out to be true. It turned out that semester after semester, the gardens would start to go by the wayside as the teacher in charge would transfer Mm -hmm. or everybody got busy. And so instead of viewing that failure as like, okay, I just can't do this anymore, right? I'm turning all these school gardens into into grass bins. So I might as well just stop, right? That's not what I did. I went out and I got training on how to teach teachers, how to teach in the garden. I went to an all-day training. Then I started going to the schools that did have gardens and saying, hey, I need to get you guys trained. Like, we need to get this going to get the school garden up and going again. And then I had the audacity, right? It was kind of bravery to be like, hey, if we're going to plant a garden here, you guys have to get trained first. Because Mm. I believe that's what's going to make the garden successful. Right. And I really think it's just the perception of, a failure is just a message instead of a stopping point. Right. Oh, that's beautifully said. Beautifully said. So what do you consider your biggest success? Mm, I like that question too. I, you know, I think at this point, like today, <laughs> I think every day my answer will change. But mm-hmm. today I think my biggest success so far is the creation of the Hill College Holistic Wellness Program, mm-hmm. mostly because nothing like it exists. There's really no way for someone who's low income to go and become a holistic nutritionist or herbalist or wellness coach, and especially not all three, because the right. schools are usually independent. They're usually, they can't accept financial aid and they're not integrated. Mm-hmm. And so I really... I'm just really proud of myself for being able to create the school program that allows that to happen and having that be part of an associate's degree. That's another thing that's missing in the holistic world is you can get all these board certifications, but you can't get a degree at the same time. And so you're going to four different schools to try and obtain all of these degrees and certifications. And here I've integrated it. It includes nutrition. It includes gardening. It involves community work, teaching your kids Mm -hmm. in your community how to do this. And so right now, I would say that's my biggest success. Wow. Beautiful. And we'll have to talk tomorrow so you can tell me what it is tomorrow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What drives you? Oh, man. Again, I think it's just, it's just my passion. Like, Mm -hmm. 
I think that a lot of people let fear mask the voices in their head Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not like the scary voices in their head, but like the, here's an idea. This would be cool. Hey, why don't you do this? And so once I started to embrace fear and failure and to just try every idea, knowing that if it failed, that's okay. And that it can keep going if you want it to, Mm -hmm. then my ability to listen to those ideas with a passion and just to follow those dreams is what drives me. And, you know, I say, I say on my blog that I really do feel like my purpose on this planet is to help people follow their own dreams. Like I don't want people to follow my dreams. Mm -hmm. I want them to be able to do the same thing, face their fears, find their authentic selves and follow their dreams. And I just think that the way I do that is through helping people reconnect with the earth and reconnect with their health. I'm going to ask you another question that I don't normally ask. Okay. Tell me something fun about you. Well, something fun about me. Now, if you ask my kids this, they'd be like, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Something fun about me. I'm not afraid to be silly. Like I really, I, okay, here's a great story. I love to Zumba dance. And if you come to Zumba and you look at me versus all the rest of the people in the class, you Uh might think I'm a crazy person Uh because if I'm going to dance, I'm going to dance. Like I'm going to get into it. I'm going to get tired. I'm going to dance my butt off. Uh And one time my sister came to Zumba with me and she's like, you know, you may not be as tired if you didn't go so crazy out there. (laughs) (laughs) That's the whole point, isn't it? What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. So I think just, Something fun about me is my ability to really get into whatever it is I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, I can tell. I, I kind of knew the answer to this question before I asked it. I, I, I wouldn't have framed it out exactly this way, but this is what I would have come up with because I can hear it in your voice and how much fun you're having with us in this conversation. Yeah, I really, yeah, I do. I just, you if love I life. Can focus, yeah, I do. If I can focus and get, all of my to-do list and my busyness out of my head and just be in one place in one time when I'm really in that zone, uh-huh. then yeah, I'm just, I'm loving life. Yeah. You know, I, I say this often in my life because I'm kind of a cheery guy out in the world. And, you know, I was at the coffee house the other day and and the woman behind the counter said, wow, you're, you're awfully cheery today. And I said, well, you know what? I have a choice every morning when I get up. Mm-hmm. Am I going to be happy or not? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a powerful choice. Yeah. And I have a, a very melancholy child. And it's, so as you can imagine, we kind of mm, clash. Yeah. <laughs> I clash with anyone melancholy. Um, just because I think I'm too much for those people, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I that's, that's exactly the speech I give her many times a day. Like, what kind of day do you want to have? Mm-hmm. Like, you get to decide that. Yeah. Well, you you mentioned the too much part. So I was at that same coffee house and it's one of the, it's Lucy's, the one I hang out near my house here. And it was early in the morning. It was like 730 in the morning about a month ago. And I walked in and I was all cheery. And this woman in front of me in line just had this grayness over her. And, you know, I said hi to her and I said hi to the people. And she literally, she looked at me and she said, you're far too cheery. You need to stop it. 
And she mm-hmm. was serious. It's like, well, okay, good. Thank you. And that's not me. <laughs> yeah. So pick, pick, pick your happy. That's, that's really my big message out in the world. And it sounds like it is yours too. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's important for me to remember that those that are approaching life with that perspective, mm-hmm. it's not my fault. <laughs> right. Like yeah. I don't have to stop shining yep. because they don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that was one of my big lessons about 10 years ago uh, is what somebody thinks of me is none of my business. I think there's yes. probably a book out there called that, but yes. we, we have to get really clear that when we're happy in the world or when we're, you know, unhappy in the world, it's like, you know, whatever you're thinking about, about me, it's, you know, it's like really none of my business. So, yeah, that was one of the most helpful quotes I'd ever heard probably mm-hmm. about five years ago is when I heard that. And yeah. it definitely changed the way I deal with a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Oh, that's such a hard question. I know. I'm a book hoarder. <laughs> so I'm going to break the rules a little bit. So right. not surprising. <laughs> so I would expect that out of you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's my MO. So it's going to sound like a silly book, but this is really what started my whole journey on embracing fear. And it's a children's book called Jonathan James and the What If Monster. Oh and my I gosh. actually have a podcast interview with the author of that book. And it's like six pages long. It's probably more than that, like 12 pages long. And it's just all about this little guy with fears in his head. Mm. And he eventually figures out to give his fears to the what if monster, because just like our negative what ifs are likely to occur, Mm -hmm. there are positive what ifs that are just as likely to occur. And when I went to a book signing with that author and she told her story, I was I was in this room surrounded by little kids and I was the only adult and I'm sitting there bawling because her <laughs> message was that it's okay to fail. Yeah. And it's okay to be scared. And you know, I grew up in this perfectionist world thinking everything had to be perfect and I wasn't mm. going to do anything unless right. I could do it perfectly. Yeah. And that book I read it to every single one of my college students. I'm like, I'm going to start this first class with a kid's book, mm-hmm. not because you're kids, but because this is an important message for everybody. Yeah. Wow. Well, for me, the what if is a very powerful thing. And my whole team knows that when I say, oh my gosh, what if we could do this? Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I've turned it into a powerful, happy, like, wow, let's change the world by doing this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and then the adult version of that book (laughs) is called The Gifts of Imperfection from Brene Brown, which I found right about the same time. And so those two books combined really, really changed the way I approach everything in my life. That is a very powerful book. Absolutely. That I have read. And all of hers that come after that. Yeah. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Hmm. This is good. That's a good question. I would really just say that no matter where you are and no matter what your perspective of life is right now, you can start to create the kind of life you want. Like you can start to face fears, start to listen to your dreams. You can put one foot forward towards whatever 
life it is you're trying to create. It's never too late. It's never too early. Sometimes it's hard, but it's always worth it. (laughs) Nice. I love that. It's always worth it. Oh, it's always worth it. Always worth it. Even when it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Then it's worth it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Lori. Thank you. It was an honor to be here. And this was just such a fun conversation. It was. Well, oh, my gosh. Absolutely. So we're, and we're not quite done yet because I, I, I need you to tell us about your podcast. Because huh? I want to listen to your podcast. Tell me about your podcast. Where can people find out about it? What do you talk about on it? Sure. So my podcast, I'm a guest podcaster at weightfreewellness.com. Mm-hmm. And you just click on contributing podcasters and then click on Lori Rose. So I tend to go a little off the the normal road of wellness and talk to, you know, children's authors. And um, really, it's more about mental and positive thinking, kind of mm. mental wellness, but mm-hmm. really any kind of any kind of wellness topic is fair game. So I interview herbalists and I interview my teachers and I interview the authors of my books, my favorite books. Uh huh. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So spell that for us, would you? Weight free wellness. So that's W E I G H T F R E E W E L L N E S S dot com. Perfect. Perfect. And that's, that's my video podcast. Cool. And. And then my blog, where I talk about nutrition and herbal stuff, that is lauriroseholistic.wordpress.com. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And I'm sure we can find you on some of the social media platforms. Yes. On Facebook, I'm just Lori Rose Holistic. And then if you want to learn about the Hill College Holistic Wellness Pathway. Oh, please. Yeah. It's just hillcollege.edu slash holistic wellness. Perfect. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Lori Rose. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Raising farm animals in your backyard, it's not just rewarding, it's actually easier than you think, especially if you have Kari Spencer to help get you prepared. Just text chickens to 33444 or visit backyardfarmanimals.com to receive our free webinar on how to grow chickens, goats, and more, promote biodiversity, and put your backyard animals to work. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. 
It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.